you know, as you grow, you need a, you know, I'm stating the obvious, but you need a process and you need people that can define the process and you need people that manage the process. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Founders Journey series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. I'm excited here to be joined by my guest, Gil Friedrich. This is actually part two. You can go back and listen to part one where we heard more about their platform. He's the co-founder and CEO of Avanon. He's based in New York and they're a cybersecurity SaaS company started in 2014, all around cloud and email and collaboration security. Welcome back, Gil. Good to have you on. Excellent. Happy to uh, regroup. So now here, I want to hear about the journey, like already even before Avanon, like how did you first get into cybersecurity tech? Was it just like immediately beginning in cybersecurity or were you just fascinated with technology at the beginning? Uh, (laughs) It was so coincident that I'm almost embarrassed uh, uh, to mention this. I I was, um, I did my uh, university degree and I did that um, right after my military service in, uh, in the Israeli military where you know, salary wasn't great. So after about six months of basically just, you know, working on my thesis, I was uh, um, out of money, completely different field. It was, you know, sort of AI, but in the area of of, uh, image processing and uh, face recognition. And I told my professor, um, you know, I'm running out of money. Do you mind if uh, I start a job? Because I finished my research. I just needed to write my thesis. And he said, that's funny you say that. I'm about to start a company. Do you want to join? And I knew nothing. And um, he told me the idea, et cetera. And I, I almost, I, I knew so little that I said, you know, whatever, I'll join. I'll see you every day. And that will make sure I write my thesis. And so I joined. I wrote my thesis. I submitted my thesis. And then I also got into a cybersecurity company that, you know, ended up going public in NASDAQ and, um, you know, I, I saw the potential. I, I, I enjoyed the success. So almost happenstance being, I was like, hey, I, I need a job. And I look and he says, I've got to, I'm going to start a company. Come join me. And that was the first cybersecurity company you were part of. And, and the first job I ever had. So uh, first job. <laughs> well, you know, the first professional job. Right, right. Um, and that, and that was called? That, that was for Scout. That was four and that was uh, four, 14, 14 years that you were focused on. Did I get right? I'm looking at LinkedIn here. Yes, absolutely. So I, I, I started there at the end of 2000. And I, I, three years later, three and a half years later, um, I was appointed as the VP of R&D. So basically, I ran the R&D team there. Until about 11, still with Scout, moved from Tel Aviv to New York, uh, more focused on... Uh, you know, more like an outbound VP of technology. That was the title, but working with mm. customers, with partners, um, and so on. That shift from working on the product itself to now external working with with customers. There's a lot of folks out there that that start from the the tech side but move to outward facing in sales. What was some of the lessons learned that you had in in that growth and now working externally with customers? Um, I, I think lesson number one was short answers. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just remember my first presentations were always, uh, I can think of the slides I would make and the number of words I had to use in order to ex- express a simple, a simple idea. I, I think I really, 
got better there and, and you know, how to explain maybe complex technical terms in, in simpler words. Mm. Um, th- these are the areas where I, I felt like, uh, you know, I needed to be better and I became gradually better over time. Um, I, I have to tell you that personally, I love R&D work. I love the development. I mean, even at Avanan, you know, I haven't done it for a few years. Year number one, we got together. I was coding with, you know, my two other co-founders, just sitting in a room coding, and I loved every moment. Um, when we started hiring people, they looked at our code, and they just, you know, it was horrible. So they uh, <laughs> ditched it and started over. Um, oh, wow. But I still enjoy that piece very much. And um, having the flexibility, I guess, to also be able to start there with, with your version one, you know, just gave us a lot of, um, to start, it gave us a lot of flexibility because, you know, we didn't need to hire people. We had co-founders, hardly any salary, you know. So from just from a journey perspective, um, we came after a year with something relatively mature where we could start, you know, better customers, et cetera, without waiting to hire people, et cetera. Now, you had mentioned already in the, in the first episode where um, you saw the, this challenge when you were at, at Forescout and you were like, all right, we got to start something. So can you, I'm just curious, can, can you walk me through like the, this, the, the phases from, from uh, well, or 2011 to 2014 to then starting in 2014 with Avanon? What did it look like to begin the company with your co-founders? So, so. I, I guess the challenging part of it was a super fascinating time at Forescout as well, because uh, um, during those three years, pretty much every one of the major banks in the world became a customer. And, you know, as you can imagine, quite a few are headquartered in or around New York, New York City, or, you know, the vicinity. So I was very fortunate to, to just be, you know, be part of that uh, I, you know, I wasn't in sales. I didn't have a, a very significant role in the process, but they would still call me in into demos and I, I was involved in a lot of the customer conversations. Um, so it just gave me a lot of access, uh, you know, to just start to compile all the information I was getting. Um, and, um, and, and so when you, when you hear something for the first time, you know, a need that is underserved, uh, you know, you, you, you shelf it somewhere in your brain and then you hear it from the second time, it comes back to the front of your brain. And when you hear it for the third time, now you say, okay, now I need to actively, you know, check this notion. And so the next one, you're actually asking the customer, you know, is that the concern? Is this a problem you have, et cetera. And, and as you collect those data points, um, you know that you're up to something. And I think, uh, you know, most of the people, they solve a problem they have or they see. You know, like I think uh, the guy that invented the wheel wasn't about, uh, you know, fishing. He probably had to carry some big stones, you know, to the top of the mountain, whatever. So uh, so I think in that respect, we, we just, we were so involved in those customer conversations that, it, you know, we could test test the notion, test the idea uh, before we started. And, and, and that was very important before we were able to start a new company. You have uh, two, three, three other co-founders. Correct. Correct. And 
did you guys just talk amongst yourselves? Like, how did it form between the other co-founders that, that they became your co-founders to start Avena? Um, so we, we worked really well at Forescout and, and we knew each other for many, many years. Uh, and we, it wasn't just that we worked together. We enjoyed working together and we, we just felt great chemistry. So it was very, very natural. It was almost, you know, the joke we had is bringing the band together. Um, two out of the four were no longer uh, Forescout employees. So uh, already left in 2009, 2008, but we, you know, we called them back um, and so part of it was was that just great chemistry and I think also bringing diverse skill sets. So, you know, one came really from the sales and marketing side and the other was pure R&D and one was product. So just... As a know, balance exactly. uh, of all the skill sets in, in a four-person crew. <laughs> exactly. And, and so it meant that, you know, for senior position and all had VP positions at Forescout. So from... From that respect, we didn't need to hire a ton of people in order to, to kickstart a company. We, we had the, the basic skill set to start, and then we started to hire people that can tell us what we need to do. At the beginning, did you raise money right from there? Did you bootstrap? How did you approach that? So for a few months, it's your uh, garage story, even though it wasn't in the garage, but at night... Uh, mm-hmm you know, finishing the day job and try to work on some sort of a uh, proof of concept or mock-up. And I think it was very important in our investor discussions because it's one thing to come with slides. It's another to say, hey, let me show you a demo. So I I think it really helped us to come with a demo. Mm. Um, And uh, we also had not customers necessarily, but reference people that would say, you know, I need this, I have this problem. So access to customers was also very important. In our life, we raised the seed round, then we had an A round, and then we had a B round. This is where we're at right now. Gotcha. So the seed was uh, very easy, in all honesty. I mean, it's never easy to get money, but just high level, you know, we were a team with the right story, with the right background. Um, So we started to get term sheets relatively fast. Uh, round A was very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, Why was that so hard? Because, uh, so we were asking for, I guess, a lot of money for a high valuation before we had a single paying customer. Uh, uh, so there was a misalignment there and, and we still tried for, I want to say, maybe six months to, to go with that. After six months, we had uh, three paying customers uh, with six more, you know, in the pipeline about to sign. One of those six is a Fortune 500. Uh, um, so at that point, the entire conversation with VCs changed where it was no longer, um, it was no longer about uh, this guy is going to invest. I already felt that the feedback was different. So I, I already felt that, you know, if it's not this one, it's the next one. If not the next one, the next one, because, um, the gap was really being able to show money flowing in. So being really able to show that, yeah, people are taking their checkbooks out, paying for this, et cetera. 
That's interesting, Miles. Like, if you're having <laughs> trouble raising your, your round on, on your set terms, one would think, well, I'll just change it so that a lower valuation or ask for less money. But your approach is, no, let's just keep going and get more customers to show that we are actually at that valuation. Absolutely. And, and since then, we always took the approach of, uh, you know, when you take a round, you immediately spend more, but spend in a way that towards the next time you'll need money, you'll be very close to, uh, you know, break even Mm -hmm. and it just gives you a ton of flexibility because you know you go through investors and it's you know time is on your side because you're growing fine don't invest now you know we you're always talking to investors always and and uh and even now when i don't know if we'll take another round or not where we'll be the conversation is you know fine we're growing so quickly so you know you don't want to pay this valuation now you'll play you'll pay double in in a year so really that i i think that's important and i learned that after our a round our b round was again easy easy in the sense that you know we got new term sheets from new vcs and then our existing vcs just said you know what we are taking the round they have the right of first refusal they just took the round they were so bullish about the company and um yeah and I, yeah uh, so avanon how did you come up with the name it's um, the wife of my uh, my co-founder, <laughs> and she's um, uh, in Hebrew. Av and Av basically mean cloud, and Anan mean cloud. And when you think about what we initially did, it's almost like your cloud of cloud, and it just came together nice as as clouds of cloud. Uh, or sometimes it's thought of as thick cloud in in Hebrew, so like uh, you know, hardening the cloud, making sure it's safe. So from from here you you, you begin, but your you have the funding, a round or, or seed round is okay. A round was difficult, but you you got it. You start to get customers. To get those first initial customers, what were some lessons learned there that you can share? Um, it, it's probably the hardest part in the life of the company, to be honest. Even now with you know, 4,000 customers and growth pains we've experienced. Our, our biggest growth pain was probably between 200 customers to 500 customers. Where why, why is that the biggest growth pain, you think? Just, you know, historically, I'm not sure if it's uh, general. For us, that was the time where we had to change the methods of, you know, of how we operate, how we handle customers, etc. cetera. But, um, but even even with that, I think getting the first customers is the toughest because, you know, in the enterprise and something like email that is so sensitive, no one wants to be an early adapter. Um, and, um, you know, vetting you out, etc., cetera, uh, is not easy. You know, we already had customers that bought solutions that we developed. So they knew how we think they knew how we, um, you know, that, that, that was useful. Uh, and if you don't have that, then I, I think you need to hire someone that does because, because in the beginning you almost ask them for a favor. There's no other way to say this. So it's a, uh... Part of it's just patience and, and, and just asking someone, hey, can, will you do me a favor? Let's get started. Let's try it. And you, you meet them where they are and then you can grow. You're able to, to expand and, and, and scale from there. Exactly. 
for for you to be able to manage this? And you said scaling from 200 to, to, to 500 customers and stuff. Obviously, you, that changes the, the dynamics. And part of it takes the, the right team. What would you say are some lessons learned for building the right team? So I think one thing I learned is that... Um, you know, as you grow, you need a, you know, I'm stating the obvious, but you need a process and you need people that can define the process and you need people that manage the process, that do the day-to-day of the process. Mm. And there's a gap there that I've seen everywhere, whether it's marketing or sales or R&D or whatever, that the you hire someone that ran a process in another company, right? A similar process, whatever, customer success, support, whatever. And they can describe that process to you, but very often they're not the people that define the process in that organization. And your organization is different. So the people that define the process and the people that run the process are not necessarily the same person. And when you hire, as you scale, you're, you're thinking, okay, let me hire someone that had the past experience, you know, running a support organization. Well, your organization is different and whatever they did before doesn't necessarily match. So really you need, you need the people that can help you define that process, understand the problem, define the process, not necessarily run it. Um, so I think yeah. that's challenge. And we made that mistake several times in several areas. Um, that's a powerful lesson learned of, of not knowing that there's a two different people, one that, that can be great at running process, those who are re- creating a new process and just taking the existing process from a different company and applying it to, to their new job at your company is not necessarily a good idea. And, and so it's how do you uh, determine how do you when you're when you're interviewing someone, whether they fit into one category or the other? Um. So you need to drill down into what they were running, where they were, what was working, what was not working, why they did what we did. You you sort of try to see if they have that bigger picture, bigger perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, you sometimes what we ended up doing that worked really well is taking people not necessarily from the same discipline. So, for example the person that eventually got us to, you know, a customer success process that works and a support process that really, really works, never had any job in support or customer success. Seriously? He, yeah. He just, he ran a huge R&D team that worked really, really well. So he understood process, you know, in the bits and bytes, very detailed oriented, was able to define that process. And now he came to this new problem and he was able to, you know, build a process that works. So it's, it's not necessarily the prior experience, it's more that ability to understand the bigger picture. The problem solving skills of seeing a situation and coming up with a, a solution for it that mit, fits just perfectly for that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. For, for you as a leader, um, are there any books, audiobooks, podcasts that you've read in the past that you would recommend to others? Um, so I'll tell you what, I, I, I almost want to say that... <laughs> take everything with a grain of salt and I'll tell you why, because I, I read a book when I knew nothing about sales and marketing. Right. And I'm, I'm very grateful to our CRO that wasn't a co-founder, but he's a founding member, also a friend from Forescott, what we took over when, when sales started. Uh, Cause everything I learned, I learned from him in sales and marketing. 
And initially he recommended a book uh, to me about inbound and inbound marketing. And I think it's really good um, as an initial book. And I think it's called Inbound. But then I read the sarcastic book about the company and the person that wrote that book that said, um, you know, it's all, uh, it's probably not the whole truth. Let's put it this way. There's a lot of truth in it, but there's probably more. And it's all about that balance between, you know, you want inbound, right? You want people to come from you, beg for your solution and just buy it with no problem. But that doesn't exist anymore because for every problem, there's 50 companies that can solve it. Um, and you have to go outbound. Uh, so the notion of just you do your, write your blogs and people will come doesn't work. And to find that balance, understand that, that balance, understand what works for you. Um, I guess if you read that book inbound, you know, to the letter, you'll, you'll probably fail because it's not the reality. Um, and That's so, uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that helped me. I, um, um, I think there's a book called Outliers that probably many people read and I read as well. And I, I, I think it gives a lot of perspective in different stages of, of the business and the, uh, you know, the, the time you need to spend into the problem, the perseverance and even the feeling of entitlement. Like there's another thing I would say helps small startups uh, that maybe is a lesson learned. Try to appear bigger than you are right? You cannot say, hey, we're four guys on a laptop. You can't. So there are different ways to do this. And it's about um, who you partner with. Like you can generally partner and have a press release with a big company if you're able to, you know, give them something they need. Mm -hmm. um, and they need the innovation. So they would look for someone like you as well. So, but, but being able to do those things and at the end of the day appear bigger than you really are. Um, Really Something about that book talks about, you know, entitlement, not in a negative way, but just in a feeling of, uh, uh, you know, I, I generally feel like I'm coming to the world in a, in a humble way. Nonetheless, there's something about, listen, guys, no one knows about this problem better than I do. And I can help you understand this problem in, in you know, again, not to come arrogant, but... Almost confidence, confidence, confidence in your product and what exactly. you can, what you can provide. Exactly. Wow. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I appreciate your, these, these real world experiences are way better than any books that, that, that you can read that, that you're just mentioning, like being able to partner with a large brand that you said that, um, that can help raise them because it's innovative. Did, is that what you did at the beginning? Did you do that? Something similar? Yes. We had uh, partnerships very early where, some of our larger customers were brought to us through our partnership with, you know, some of the biggest companies, biggest names in, in IT security. Then they also saw the success. And so they also OEM their solution for a period of time. So we had OEMs with some of the largest companies out there. Eventually when we were able to hunt our own customers, it no longer made sense to OEM business wise. But even if you just go to someone like Gartner, and they'll figure it out even if you don't tell them that, hey, this company OEMs you, you know, now you're no longer this tiny little startup. Now you have an OEM with this conglomerate, so you're probably doing something right. So doing an OEM with a larger partner actually is a potentially good way to start to get that attention and get out there. Get credibility for sure. Yeah. Get credibility. Wow. 
that's a great one. That's a great one. Uh, to close here, any tech predictions uh, would you make of looking forward the next year or two or five, 10 years from now in the cybersecurity world? Um, any predictions? That's a tough one. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I mean, you know, uh, obviously I think uh, there's no turning back from some of the, uh, some of the things that happened with, um, with COVID. And, and in many ways, it's just accelerated probably things that would have happened anyway. Um, but um, um, you know, digitization of everything, you know, my daughter's going to school using an iPad and my, uh, you know, working from remote and uh, all that, the way we buy, the way we sell, um, all that is, is, is here for good, I'm sure. Um, I, I think it will, um, I think it will change how company thinks about employees, obviously. I mean, we, we used to prefer certain geographies. Now we don't care. We hire everywhere, anywhere. Um, and, um, and it's a great thing because it, it, it opened us just to a ton more talent and, and hiring people is the toughest part for every business in tech for sure, maybe in other fields as well. Um, so I think that that's a huge positive not to care about geography um the concern i always have there is is does you know will we see less connection to the company right will it start feeling like everyone's outsource uh also outsourcing the work so um um the balance that will have to come from that so i think yeah probably more employee uh churn in, in some respect or at least companies trying to find new ways to you know to connect the employee to their brand etc when there's no headquarters um I, I, again i'm I, it's not a huge prediction it's maybe just the challenges we have now but these are the kind of things that you know keep us busy as we think about enterprise and business into the next few years I think you you make very accurate statements of the the future is is predicated on the challenges we're facing right now and where where they will lead us. Um, but it's if anything, it will be a more uh, tech enabled, digitized world and, and distributed where cybersecurity attacks can happen anywhere in new places, which is great to have a, a, a solution like yours. Thank you so much for the the time that you've been able to share, Gail, on the insights from your journey. For those that want to learn more about the actual product, go back and listen to part one of our discussion where you could hear how we dove into the platform um, of Avanon. And you could also head over to avanon.com and be able to learn more about the product there. Thanks again, Gail, for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Alex. We'll see you guys on the next episode of Uptech Report. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you're subscribed to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.